0: You're listening to The Tool Belt, a manufacturing podcast focusing on logistics, safety, operations,
1: and breaking industry news.
2: Hello, please enjoy the audio from this live conversation conducted on November 9th. Well, good morning or good afternoon, depending on your time zone. My name is Robert Schoenberger, and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Industry Week. Uh, again, thank you for joining us for Production Pulse. Today, we're talking cybersecurity. Uh, with us, we have Scott Ackleful, who is the uh, Managing Editor of Smart Industry. We have Bruce Geiselman with Plastics, Machinery, and Manufacturing. We have, oh, it looks like I thought we had two Bruce's for a second there. I guess not. <laughs> we have Alex Paltry from Electronics Design, Jason McDaniel with uh, Security Info Watch, and I'm sorry, Sec- Jason McDaniel is with uh, Fleet Maintenance Magazine, and Alex Paltry is with uh, Electri- Electronics Design. Uh, thank you everyone for joining me today, uh, we're all members of Endeavor Business Media, which is the giant holding company for all of our uh, trade publications, and we've all been writing about uh, cybersecurity in one form or another in recent months. Uh, it, one of the big drivers here has been what's happened in the past uh, month and a half or so with Clorox Company, which uh, had a major cyber incident earlier this year. That uh, they just reported second quarter or uh, first quarter earnings uh, recently and uh, put the final to- dollar amount at 356 million in lost sales because of a massive hack they had uh, in uh, or earlier this year. Uh, that was actually an improvement Uh, earlier they'd been saying that the the loss could have been as high as 700 million so the 356 million dollar loss was uh, better than they'd expected Uh, and then a couple weeks ago we found out that boeing services the uh, company's uh, big uh, airplane service division with a lot of military contracts had been uh, subject to ransomware Uh, just today we're hearing that uh, some data is leaking out from the company as they're deciding whether or not how they can address that issue. So these are big companies facing big, big, big security challenges, uh, and it's gonna be an expensive issue going forward. And and my big question here to to our panel is what is this gonna mean for the people out there in uh, in manufacturing who have been somewhat reticent to deal with cybersecurity as an issue, or are these big uh, high profile incidents going to change anything? And let's just start here with, uh, uh, let's just start with Scott. Scott, you've uh, been writing about uh, some cybersecurity issues there for smart industry. What are you hearing from people
3: and what do you think this is going to make a difference? Thank you, Robert, for the opportunity to join you all here today. And thank you to my colleagues. You know, um, I'm relatively new to smart industry just a few weeks in and I had an enlightening conversation with a source over at Rockwell Automation, and he pointed me over to their anatomy of 100 plus cybersecurity incidents in industrial operations. And this top line statistic really, to me, was startling. That the number of U.S. based threat actors attacking attacking industrial organizations grew by 35 percent last year, um, driving an 87 percent increase in breaches. Over that same period. Um, as you mentioned, we've done some recent reporting that relates to cybersecurity, and one of them was industry from Industry Week's own uh yeah. webinar a couple of a couple of days yeah. ago about uh investment, um, digital transformation investment. And the top line item item from the survey that was cited in that webinar, a sample of uh 158 manufacturing professionals was that um, they were increasing investment uh, by 50, uh, 56% in uh, in in their operations. By far, the largest uh, area with robotics and automation lagging well behind at 42% of inner of any area. So clearly, we are seeing, as you mentioned, some high-profile cybersecurity incidents, but it seems to me there is a response in that the manufacturing professionals are beginning to raise their defenses and making it priority number one for their digital transformations.
2: So uh, moving over to you, Steve, because I mean, you, you've been dealing with, uh, you, you have security in your title, You're, uh, <laughs> you've been in that security world for quite a while. Right. Uh, is this the kick that people needed to tell us that, uh, you know, this is something we really need to take seriously or was it maybe the SEC telling people they were under legal obligation to report these incidents where they might have just, uh, you know, dealt with it internally right. before?
4: You know, it's it's not like, uh, you know, all our most most functions, most systems now in any organization are cyber centric. So whether it's security systems, business or operational manufacturing, OT systems, everything's is cyber centric so it's not like we haven't had cyber security issues for the last two decades Uh, when you look at some of the high uh, profile breaches like at equifax and and others it was the standard fare was for organizations to simply uh ignore the breaches uh for uh the the fear of bad publicity and and uh, and bad business press, so most of that was swept under the rug when it w- when it could be. But you know, organizations today are facing growing and elaborate challenges, ranging from increased regulatory scrutiny and reporting requirements to emerging threat vectors such as generational or generative AI and high-profile breaches. Uh, and now, uh, to protect citizens and to hold companies accountable, and to aspire uh, inspire higher levels of uh, security maturity. Uh, the new SEC rules that have been updated are requiring all public companies to disclose material cybersecurity incidents. So that is a big kick in the pants for these folks. And uh, they're no longer able to just uh, uh, keep these as uh, uh, the, the redheaded stepchild locked them up in the basement anymore. They have got to do this for the uh, good of both the shareholders and for the customers that they serve, because uh, uh, it's it's not a good thing, especially when the Equifax breach happened. That uh, you had two million uh, customers of Equifax never knew that their data had been breached. So this this is not a good thing. Uh, it's it's basically a turning point in in an era of enforced uh, prioritization of transparency, and uh, this increases the liability risk for corporate leaders. So while many companies are going to mistake cybersecurity as solely a, an IT issue, uh, in today's Heightened risk uh, environment uh, and ultra sophisticated risk landscapes. Companies are, have got to highlight that they not only have adequate cyber knowledge at the IT level, but this knowledge has to transcend across the entire business organization. Yeah, let's, uh,
2: Jason, I, I, you had a really interesting story the other day on uh, fleet maintenance. Uh, about uh, some hackers who are actually able to override the anti lock braking. Yeah, I you know, found that. that, I, that I, I, can, can, you can you talk, you can you talk about the, uh, the, what, what, they, they, what you they found? found?
1: Yeah, it, that, that was pretty interesting. And I should point out so I'm with Endeavor's commercial vehicle group. My main title I work on is Bulk Transporter. Um, but I know Fleet Maintenance picked this up and it was definitely generating a lot of interest, a lot of traffic. And um, this was a demonstration by the National Motor Freight Traffic Association about how a hacker with very little money and equipment could hack into a trailer's brake controller and apply brake pressure or release air out of the brake valve so they have no brakes and they, it, you know, they, they basically turn them into like a missile, I guess, in traffic or um, signal a, a brake light fault to get the driver to pull over at the side of the road and maybe attack them that way. So it was, it was a very interesting thing Um, I think it's more of a theoretical thing. I don't know how high of a threat level CISA has um, attributed to this so far, but it's interesting because it's a cyber attack, but it's really more of a physical attack using radio signals to affect what the brake controller is doing in the trailer. And um, I think that's catching more people in transportations, um, especially on the hazmat side, since I cover bulk transportation, it's getting their attention because it's, you know, they've long been worried about physical threats and now they're kind of the cyber attacks and the physical threats are kind of intermingled together and um, they're, they're able to control equipment that way. And I think one issue is you mentioned, you know, public companies maybe having more incentive or requirements to report issues like this. And I think that's still a big problem in transportation because you have a lot of, you know, smaller and mid-sized companies, a lot that are privately owned um, and they they don't want to report this because they don't want their customers to find out. And so, I, you know, I hear that all the time. Companies talk about measures they're taking, but they don't want me to report exactly why. They want it to seem like a proactive um, a measure instead of a reactive thing. Um, you know, then it's it's definitely out there. I mean, Estes recently experienced attack. Um, Orbcom is a commercial vehicle industry supplier recently had an attack on them. But not many trucking companies necessarily want to talk about it a whole lot. You know, J&M Tank Lines has been one that's been um, very open about what happened to them and their ransomware attack. Um, but yeah, I think that there's still just a lot of companies that don't want to talk about it, and so they don't share best practices or get ahead of what's the threats that are out there today really are that are emerging.
2: You know, Alex, uh, you, you had a really nice uh, conversation recently. It was, a, I think it was a uh, secure. video uh, podcast uh, where you were talking about quantum computing and uh, the cybersecurity uh, implications uh, of these new technologies. Can you tell us a little bit about the the risks that we're facing as we
5: move forward, how much worse these threats are gonna get. Well, you know, Robert, uh, one of the things I would like to bring up first is, it's been touched on, but this is all a gestalt, right? You you know, you can't just have good procedures in place, you have to have good equipment in place and your people have to know them and it has to be part of a procedure. But um, one of the things that I wanted to bring up for this conversation is the tools are available, You know, the biggest issue that a lot of these companies have is the core technologies are relatively new, uh, relatively, you know, years, not decades. Um, And so a lot of these organizations have to educate themselves in what's available. So like you had mentioned the cybersecurity thing, but that's literally stage two. First stage is first level basic cybersecurity for current and existing things. I mean, the national... Institute of uh, Standards and um, the like, NIST, there's currently the SP-853, which is security and privacy controls for information. And it talks about the various technologies that you know need to be implemented. But one of the things that I wanted to uh, talk about when it comes to that kind of thing is like to address this issue with the trucks, for example. These security tools do exist today to prevent that from happening today but you have to redesign all your trucks. Because for example, you could buy a microcontroller today that has a secure code block inside the hardware that cannot be accessed without destroying the code that you could have in the brake control circuit, for example, and that microcontroller could then verify all commands and any command without the code won't be obeyed. Trouble is, that's a fleet update At a hardware level that no company really wants to approach now now let's say that you've done that and you've implemented current security technology in the next three to five or five to seven years you're going to have to retool that whole thing all over again for this quantum security because if i have a quantum computer with a couple of hundred uh qubits i can break a factorized Co, you know, anything built on large number factorization will be broken by a large enough quantum computer. Now the tech isn't there yet. That's why I'm saying three to five, five to seven, but somebody, if they can develop, say for example, a few 10 qubit computers and lock them together with entanglement, you could get to those multiple hundreds of nodes that you need faster than the technology progression. And what that means is that we're gonna have to start switching to. Geometry based security key, something with 16 dimensional folded, you know, tesseract kind of thing for uh, security codes, or we're going to have to implement quantum entanglement in the security link itself so we could detect if there's anything going on. But as far as issues today and solutions today, the solutions are in place. The biggest issue is the cost of implementation, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, we we hear a lot about the in in the industrial world the problem you have some of these old uh, control systems that are not networked which oh that that had been you know air gapping and things like that that had been the security uh the the security by obsolescence who's going to bother creating a virus for this you know 25 year old control well yeah that's that's great but on the other hand if the exploit comes up and you have to go through with a usb or an actual disk and update every single one of those controls that's time consuming it's very time consuming you know, uh, Bruce, uh, over from the plastic side, you had a really nice uh, podcast recently about some of the advice you're getting to actually address some of these uh, some of these issues. Can you talk a little bit about how uh, kind of the best practices you're hearing uh, on that on that side of things? How we can actually do something about all these threats?
0: Well, the first thing is to realize that you are vulnerable. A lot of uh, the manufacturers, a lot of the plastics manufacturers are smaller, and they don't really give uh, uh, too much thought to cybersecurity issues. And the point is that they should be. Now, Travelers Insurance, when I was speaking with them, they offered uh, cyber liability insurance. They recently uh, did a survey of manufacturers and found that 48 percent of the manufacturers that they surveyed felt that they were just too small or not complex enough to be a target for cyber thieves or cyber criminals. And it's unfortunate, according to them, because everybody is vulnerable. And one of the One of the things that you need to do, at at the very least, is to have a plan in place for how your company is going to respond if there is a cybersecurity issue. That you should have tabletop exercises, know who's going to do what, and you should have people on retainer, if you don't have the staff, and a lot of smaller companies don't, you should have somebody on retainer who can come in and help you with these cybersecurity issues. And there is software available, obviously, that, that companies can use as well. And um, one of the things that uh, Itzhak uh, Kotler, who's CTO and co founder of safe breach told me is that from a hacker's perspective, there's never a downside to hacking a company. I thought this was an interesting quote. Um, and he said that uh, no hacker has ever hacked a company and said, this company isn't big enough. There's always something that can be done once you have access to that company. And uh, another thing that you mentioned that, that is a major problem in, in the plastics industry is that some of the equipment that they have, the controllers are 20 years old or, or older, and there are no patches available for these. And that is a problem to, to, to try and address that. Um,
2: so. I, I can't tell you the number of times I've been into a factory in the past you know, two, three years where you'll still see Windows 98 logos on some of the equipment running in the background. And yep. 1998 was um, not uh, less than five years ago, we can say at this point. Robert, and if I can it, jump it, in
4: just for a second, I mean, also with, yeah. you know, kind of piggybacking on Bruce's conversation. Uh, one of the most acute uh, challenges right now and threats in cybersecurity is third party vendors. Uh Cybersecurity uh, is is sort of a misnomer that when we think about it, it's just attacking like you mentioned the Cloroxes or the Cisco's or or, or or whatever. It's it's not the easiest way to penetrate uh, the supply chain is to go through these third party vendors because those third party vendors ultimately lead to the uh, to the big dog. Uh, so right now, that's probably the biggest. Uh, uh, a vulnerability link in the chain, supply chain in cybersecurity or third party vendors. And that's why the zero trust mantras have become mm-hmm. such a huge uh, issue and such a huge uh, fundamental cybersecurity. It's, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's that old saying, uh, no trust without verification. So uh, again, yeah, uh, Alex, <laughs> I know you had something to say on that.
5: Yeah, well, exactly, because the, the the hardware industry has already established chains of trust for like, you know, we were talking, you would um, we admit we were talking about those um, plastics machines with antique equipment, uh, you know, drivers or these old machines with the Windows controllers in them. They can be upgraded if you replace the driver electronics. But yeah, again, we it's a tremendous expense. But right. if you do or if you're building new equipment and, you're, and you want these new chips that have the codes in them, the manufacturer, like a company like Microchip, they will set up a chain of trust with your factories. So you know for a fact that the factories are getting the secure chips in a secure manner and those keys are being transmitted to your people in a secure manner. So at least you know that you, once you've implemented the solution, the keys aren't just flying around out there. So chain of trust is actually a very big thing right now in the hardware cybersecurity side.
0: And and I think that the, one of the things I heard is this is what's gonna force small manufacturers to, to finally upgrade is because the larger companies want guarantees that the companies that are part of their supply chain are taking the necessary cybersecurity precautions, because... Not if they don't. I'm sorry? I mean, they're going to be cut out of the chain if they don't. That's right. It's going to cost them money, and that's what's going to finally uh, be the motivating factor for them to invest in in, in cybersecurity. And, um, you know, some of these companies, and this was according to Brian Hoagley, CEO and co-founder of Side Channel, that some of these smaller companies are in for a rude awakening if they haven't seen it already. It's real pressure coming down from enterprises and larger organizations on their supply chain. They're starting to really dig in and look at the security. Of all their vendors, and one of the, I, I think one example that, that that people are probably familiar with, and this was back in I think 2013, I, I can't recall exactly, was um, uh, the, the the incident at Target. It's not a manufacturer but the incident at Target where somebody broke in and stole uh, credit card numbers from, from Target and it turned out it was through an HVAC vendor. And that HVAC vendor was able to get into Target's uh, or had access to Target's servers as I understand it because they um, were in charge of monitoring the temperature of their servers and and, and the server room. And, and so this has been known for a long time but it's finally coming to a head and i think it's in part because of those sec uh, regulations that you were discussing and, and other regulations that are going to be coming out
4: right and that's actually i mean it's really brought this whole thing this sec uh regulatory uh doctrine has, has brought this to a board level that we have not seen before uh and the uh the deloitte uh survey that we that we uh, talked about where Uh, The 58% said that they had experienced some operational disruption of some significance over the last year, any cyber breach, anytime you have any loss from day-to-day business operations, it's going to result in an undeniable loss of productivity and it's going to hit your bottom line. So this is not only a security issue, it's a business, it's a a business operations issue. And you want to prevent unnecessary and unanticipated losses uh, and it, 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 to do that, uh, it's incumbent upon the board or the executive uh, branch of that organization uh, to effectively, uh, you know, take stock of what the company's current risk posture is. And you've got to understand where the blind spots are. And you've got to ensure that the company has sufficient processes to uh, assess, identify, and and manage all that ma- uh, material and uh, disruptive risk. that. It's no longer an option, and uh, I'm, I'm glad to see that we're finally uh, getting some, uh, you know, some mandates from the f- federal government. I mean, we, we're seeing it there. Uh, the Biden administration's come out with uh, AI and cybersecurity uh, 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 doctrines—or not doctrines, but uh, uh, issues—over the last couple of weeks. They've initiated a big cybersecurity uh, uh, instructions for, uh, schools and universities, uh, which have been, uh, real, uh, active targets for ransomware companies, uh, as has the healthcare industry. So the fact that the federal government is finally stepping in, uh, and, uh, and, and, and discussing this and trying to set some direction, uh, is, is a good thing. And I, I think, uh, uh, where you know, anytime you're in an uh, in an industry, and security is one of those where there's really no industry standards, uh, you're going to putter along until uh, federal agencies step in and establish mandates, and that's what's happening right now.
2: Mm-hmm. A couple of you have mentioned the whole idea that uh, you know there's no anonymity anymore. You can't right. uh, assume that no one wants to attack you because you're too small, or they can't attack you because your your equipment is too old. I'm actually I'm reminded of a movie from the late '90s that was called Holding Hollywood Hostage, and it was the production assistants on the movie realizing that yes, they were spending millions of dollars shooting these really expensive scenes, uh, but the weak link was the uh, production assistant being paid minimum wage, if that, to drive the, those those uh, cans of footage from the uh, the shoot back to the the processing and they they stole the footage and you know held the production hostage until they would fund their movie it was a a silly thing but if you look at if you are the tier three supplier to boeing or to ford or to general motors or toyota you're a target because boy they can leverage you to shut down production of the f-150 and there's a lot of money involved there and just be the fact that you're not the one who's uh, uh, on the hook for the, the, that massive loss at the end of the day doesn't mean someone doesn't want to take, take you on as, as a way of getting at the, the bigger player. So it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting few years to watch how, this, uh, <laughs> how people respond to all this. Well, we are running into a, some a bit of a time crunch, but thank you everyone for joining me today. Uh, thank you to uh, Bruce over there on the plastics world, Alex from Electronic Design, Scott from Smart Industry, uh, Jason from our fleet group with uh, fleet maintenance and bulk transporter. And thank you very much for Steve on, on, on the security side from Security Info Watch and our security magazines. Thank you so much, have a great afternoon and join us again in two weeks for our next uh, episode of Production Pulse.
1: Thanks, Robert.